0: Good. Um, So, you know, that video raises the questions that we've asked. It puts those things out there. What about all this pain and suffering in the world? You know, there is pain, there is suffering. So is there not a God? Or if there is a God, is he not good? Or if he is good, does he not have the power to do anything about it? And it's okay to ask some of those questions and to explore those answers. But we're not going to spend a lot of time on that question. We're going to spend a lot of time today on the answer because the answer we know is clearly Jesus Christ. And all that pain and suffering is a result of sin. It's a result of your sin and my sin. And as you look at the pain in your own life, some of it is not your own fault. Some of it is somebody else's fault. Some some of it is just the result of sin in general which caused the fall of the earth and that there is such a thing as cancer. Some of that, but a lot of times the relational problems we have, the real painful things in our marriages and things like that, it's our fault. <laughs> it's our sin. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And that's the big thing in general. We pursue what we want. We get an idea of what we think is best in life and we pursue that. But the end, the way is death. And so the question is, has God done something about it? What is God doing about it? Where is he? And Brendan read earlier, 2 Corinthians. And here's just two verses earlier, 5, 14, and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, here's the answer to all of their questions, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you. I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you that we don't have to pretend that life isn't hard. We don't have to pretend like we have it all together. We don't have to pretend like we understand everything. We can come to you, you know us, you accept us where we're at, and then you bring us forward. I thank you so much for the freedom there. Thank you that you are the answer. These are big questions, but Father, you answered it. You sent your son, Jesus Christ. And then you proved that what he did was accepted, his sacrifice for our sins, because you rose him from the dead. And he rose from the dead victorious. And now we can live in that victory. And when you come back, we have the ultimate victory. I cannot wait. So please come back soon. We love you. Jesus name, amen. So if Jesus is the answer, and Jesus, when he returns, is gonna set it up perfectly, Between now and then, we're going to deal with sin, and sin causes pain, but also being in these bodies causes pain. Here in 2 Corinthians, um, as we're going to be going through 2 Corinthians 5, so go ahead and turn there. Uh, If you don't know where 2 Corinthians is, look in the index in the front, in the concordance, um, or the table of contents, contents, I should say. Look in the table of contents. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the box in front of you, um, or under your own seat. Grab a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians. But what Paul is talking about at the beginning of chapter five is Paul is talking about how exciting it is that someday we're going to have new bodies. He talks about how he groans in his earthly tent, which is his way. He was a tent maker. So it's like a, uh, maybe a a builder would talk about, we live in this earthly house uh, and that's referred to sometimes in scripture. But someday we won't be groaning in these bodies anymore. Someday we won't be struggling with indwelling sin and pain and cancer and all that. Someday we will be glorified. And so Paul begins chapter five, looking forward to that. And he says in 5.5, he who has prepared us for this very thing, that's the resurrection and the new bodies, is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So he says, the end is coming. We're going to get new bodies and you have the Holy Spirit to guarantee that this is going to happen. But what do we do until then? Until then. And so he moves on. And what Brennan read in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer to all this pain and suffering is Jesus Christ. We can see a lot of the answers happen in this lifetime. We can see marriages and relationships cured, uh, healed, reconciled. But how does God do it? And that's what I want to talk about today. How does God do it? 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Look at that, God, God almighty is looking intently. That's what this verse says. He's looking over the earth. He's scanning and he's scanning over you and over me. He's scanning over the cities. He's, he's scanning and he's looking for a heart that is fully his, completely his. That's who he's looking for. And what does he do with that person? Does that say? He strongly supports them. So we're never alone. And if this is us, if that's our heart completely his, he strongly supports us. And in that, we are the answer. So God strongly supports us to carry out His message on earth, and He is the answer. The title of today's message is We Are Plan A, and there is no Plan B. (laughs) God's plan to fix the earth, God's plan to bring healing, is Himself. And we bring that message. And there is no plan B. There is no backup plan. That's our focus today. We are beginning our our series, our all-in series. And here's what we're going to do in this all-in series. We're going to look at five aspects of the Christian life. Have you ever had somebody come up and say, how are you? I'm fine. No, really. You know, how are you with God? How are you spiritually? And you go, I don't even know how to answer that. You know, what what are the categories? Well, that's what we're going to try and get a handle on these next five weeks. How can we gauge our spiritual health? It's not just one thing. It's not just another thing. It's really all five of these and, and more. But hopefully this will help us get a grip on what it looks like to be mature. Because the Christian church, in America at least, has kind of strayed two ways over the years. One is that maturity or spiritual maturity, spiritual health, is measured by knowledge. The more you know, the more mature you must be. Or the other danger is the more you go through the right actions and rituals the more mature you might be. And so your heart may be far from God, but you're coming to church, you're going to small group, you're doing these things that look right. And over the last couple of weeks, we we talked about worship in Malachi, and we looked at exactly that. You can go through the motions, but not have your heart. But we're gonna look at what is real maturity. It's not knowledge, it's not just outward behavior. And the key word that we're gonna see through all of it is it's love. Remember, our life, our Christian life is not what we do for God. That's not the Christian life. It's Jesus living his life, the life he lived then now through you and I. That's the Christian life. And so here's the five things we're going to go over in the next five weeks. All in. That's why you have these poker chips on your seat. um, All in. That's kind of our theme. We have t-shirts back there. All in. Because this is how we measure, are we all in for Christ together? And here it is. The first one, A. Plan A is that I share a better way and there is no plan B. The L, love God. Everything I do, I do for God. Everything I do, I do for God. The second L is learning and living. We live out God's truth together. That's gonna be a fun week. And then I, invest. I invest my time, talents, and treasure in God's kingdom. And the last one is N, not about me. I fight for peace. That's all about unity. Because if the church doesn't have unity, it doesn't have anything. (laughs) It has no... um, No success in this life on this earth if there's no unity, if we're fighting amongst ourselves. But today we're focusing on A. Plan A is that I share a better way and there is no plan B. There is no backup plan. So turn to 2 Corinthians. Let's look at this. We're going to start in verse 15. And he died for all that those who might live, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him this way no longer. So Paul is talking about because we have this hope in the future, because we have the Holy Spirit in us now as a guarantee of what's coming future, we now look at people differently. You know, he said we used to look at Christ according to the flesh, and Paul was a great persecutor of the church. So he looked at Jesus and and didn't think much of him. Jesus wasn't much to look at. Jesus wasn't much in his men, you know, not much. But he says, that's the way we often look at each other, don't we? Don't humans measure each other physically? You know, what can you do for me? What's your job? What's all these things? What's your color? What's your height? And he says, we don't regard people according to the flesh any longer. We regard regard them according to the spirit. So this is in your notes. The all-in Jesus follower considers the heart and soul of a person first. Again, the word love comes to mind. Do you look at others? Do you love them? Do you care about their heart and soul? Or do you just judge them physically? But we're different because look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means receive the Holy Spirit, the hope for the the eternal salvation. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This, if you don't have this verse memorized, you should memorize this verse. Because he says, if you're in Christ, you're something new, not something better. (laughs) You're not more moral than you used to be. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't make you good. He makes you new. New with him, we're going to get into that, but new in your flesh also. The Bible talks about the heart being made new. A heart of stone, Jeremiah prophesied, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That is a heart of love. The new creation is different. The person who is a new creation begins to love what God loves. When we were at camp this summer, um, sometimes I would take questions and and one of the kids asked, how do you know you're saved? Which was a great question. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit, I have God? Um, And I gave him an answer, but afterwards, somebody else came up to me with a better answer. They said, really? You know you belong to Jesus when you start loving what God loves, when you're not going to church because you're supposed to, when you're not doing good things because you're supposed to, when you start actually loving what God loves, it, it means there's a heart change going on. And so that's one of those things about us as new creations. We begin to actually love what God loves. And look it back at verse 15. This new creation, look at 15. They don't live for themselves, but for him, for Jesus who died for them. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. All this, what he's talking about is this new life, this new hope. All of this is from God. He doesn't. His point here, I think what Paul's trying to get a point across that we go to him and he does the cleaning. He does the new creation thing. A lot of times we get the idea, or or humans will get the idea, I need to get cleaned up before I can go to church. Hey, come to church. And no, (laughs) I've been bad. I should get good and then I'll come to church. That's Absolutely the opposite of what Paul says. Paul says, God does the work in you. So you come to him just as you are, broken and sinful and pathetic, if you're like me. And then he does the good work. So he does the work and the work is reconciliation. And this is the key word in this whole passage, reconciliation, to reconcile. The word reconcile, it refers to the removal of enmity between two aggrieved parties. It means to restore a relationship. And specifically here, the word means restored to favor by an exchange. The enmity. We were against God in our flesh. Everybody is born against God, whether you like that or not. We are born an enemy of God because we're born in our sin. But we are reconciled, meaning peace is made, and it's him that does all the work. The reconciliation, Jesus did it all. God did it all through Jesus by sending him. So he does the reconciliation. He's the aggrieved party, not you and I. God did nothing against us. And he does the work. This is the great exchange. He exchanged his perfection for your sinfulness. Look down, this is described very well in verse 21. So we're skipping a little bit. But he says, for your sake, he made him to be sin. That is, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Callie was talking about it in the, in the worship there. It's amazing what the great God, the God who created everything, who is perfect did for you and I. He gave his life and he took your sinfulness. When he was on the cross and Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We don't fully understand what Jesus went through, but in that moment he took on every sin I ever committed. And every sin you ever committed, and I've thought about it in my life, that did he get an extra whip just for me? <laughs> you know, was that one, you know, well, here's the one for Derek. Actually, we better have two more. <laughs> you know, some of you only gave him one, but, but he did that for us. Somebody recently said, well, well, you're a pastor, so surely you're good enough. <laughs> I said, ha, ha. no. <laughs> no. Just like anybody We all need Jesus Christ completely. And he did the work to reconcile. Again, the great exchange, his perfection for your sinfulness. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, this might not sound like good news because you're, here's what you're hearing. So the answer is for me to give up my life for Jesus. So the answer is for me to die to myself. I don't want to do that. And that's a valid question. Because if you're sharing your faith with somebody, if you're sharing Jesus, if you're sharing it honestly, you're gonna say, oh, by the way, he wants you to be dead. (laughs) The way to come to God is to die to self. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified. And now I live as a, what we've been talking about, a living sacrifice. And there's sticky notes back there. Grab a package because on it is Romans 12, one and two. We are a living sacrifice. That doesn't sound like much fun. So real quick, what are the benefits? Because it is worth looking at. What are the benefits of this new creation. I just listed a handful. Earlier in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talked about hope for eternity. That's a huge benefit. (laughs) Hope for eternity. Someday you're going to be in paradise with the king, with a new body. And I believe you're still going to be in relationships with the people here. And so it's going to be amazing. Um, If you've ever read the divine comedy. It was written in the 1300s by Dante in Italian. Maybe you've heard of Dante's Inferno (laughs) where, where this poet gets to actually take a tour of hell and the levels of hell. I highly recommend it. It it should be recommend or uh, required in schools, but it's probably not anymore, but you see him going and he's having conversations with people in hell all the way through. Um, and they're all, I mean, it's pretty grotesque. Some of the, the art in Italy from that time period actually refers to this book. Um, But it's pretty grotesque and he starts talking to people. And there's one guy where he's talking to and he says, yeah, I have to wait here before I can go there. And I have to wait for a hundred years longer than my lifetime, even just to take the next step. I mean, but the idea was all these people said, if I only knew what, how long this was going to be and how, what I did on earth affected this, I would have lived differently. And they all say, go back and tell so-and-so go back and tell so-and-so, but that's our hope. Guess what? Your hope, there is no such thing as purgatory. There is a such place as hell. But your hope is that you're going to paradise immediately. When Jesus was on the cross, remember the thief next to him? Said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's exciting. So the benefits are great indeed. Hope. Power. Power not to sin. Remember, he set us free from the penalty of sin. That's why we get to be with him. But he set us free from enslavement to sin. So we looked at that video at the beginning. All the pain that comes, that comes from sin. And how often have you created more pain in your life because of sin? Following Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelling, gives us the power to be free from that and to live in a different way. Peace. Peace for me is one of the big ones. That I can have peace at all times because of Jesus Christ. Paul writes it elsewhere. It's the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a peace that you'll have and you don't get it. But it's because you know that God is trustworthy and you actually trust him. That's where that peace comes from. As I was writing this, the the biggest thing that came to my mind, and some of you have known me for years and you you knew Dan Palmer. Well, Dan... Dan was a 19-year-old man. Many of you knew him. Awesome. I mean, he was on fire for God. He was making a difference. He was the one you would call if you needed something moved. He was always there to serve people. He wasn't out for himself. Um, And one day he was in our dune buggy out in the desert and, and head on collision, died instantly. And I got that call from his sister said, Dan is dead. I said, no, he can't be dead. We were just texting earlier and he's bringing the dune buggy back to my house later. She said, no, he's dead. And I drove out there to the crash site and there was the dune buggy with the truck just smashed up against it. And and he wasn't there anymore. He had been taken away, but, but that was it. And I met his dad out there and we looked at it. And although it was heartbreaking and probably the hardest thing I've ever done was that funeral, I had peace the entire time. I never doubted the goodness of God. I never doubted what Dan could have been. Because we, we go through that stuff. What could have been? You know what? He was exactly what God wanted. And then he went into God's. And I had peace. I had peace that passes understanding. There is no, no better way to live. There is no trade for the peace that comes from God. You know, some of you have seen Lydia. She fell off our zip line and busted her arm really bad, and now she's going through therapy. Um, she had her first one, and so she was at home yesterday, and, and Callie is doing a good job trying to get her to stretch it, and she was in tears just trying to stretch it, and that's my fault. <laughs> I'm the one that built the zip line. I'm the one that put it over concrete, yeah, um, <laughs> at the first part. But, but I made a mistake. I did, I did things wrong. Was it sin? Probably not. Was it stupid? Absolutely I still have peace that God's gonna take care of her. <laughs> Could it have been different? Absolutely. I believe so. But I can still trust God with her. I still have peace that He's gonna work it out. Our mistakes, we can have peace in those. Even our past sins, we can have peace that God's gonna make something good out of that. That peace, huge. I spent too long on that. P- peace. <laughs> and all of this is not because we are better, it's because we're new. It's because we have a new life with Jesus in us. And I think one of the greatest things that we receive as Christians is love. We we receive a father who loves us unconditionally and he proved it through his son. He accepts you right where you're at and says, I love you. And you say, well, what about all these things about me? He says, I love you anyway. And then, he teaches us how to love. And we can become part of a community where actual people love us unconditionally. And we get to love others. The benefits are great. But, Should we accept Christ as Lord because of the pragmatic benefits? Should we share with others purely how much better life gets if you turn to Jesus? Although that's true, the main reason we should follow Jesus as Lord is because it's true. That's the main reason. Because it's true. Because there is no other way. God's plan A is that I share a better way and there is no plan B there was a a shift that took place in the mid 1800s from reason where we understood why we believed what we believed, uh, where the the pastor in town was not just a pastor, but he was also an intellectual. And then something shifted to where it became an emotional response to, and then there was all these revivals that took place here and in Europe, which were great things, these revivals, but they encouraged an emotional response to Jesus without the intellectual response and it's all about what God does for you. And then when life gets hard, because by the way, God promises that too. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you're gonna suffer like he suffered, it's gonna get hard. And if you follow Jesus just because of how great it is, when it gets hard, you're gonna walk away. And if God's plan A is you and I, then we have to be faithful sharing that message with others. Not just this health and wealth gospel. It's everything, everything's great and rosy if you follow Jesus. Um, that's not the whole truth. Now look at 18B, 18B, 18 all the way. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us. That's what we've been talking about this whole time. Reconciliation, what Jesus did, what God did through Jesus and the benefits. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Your plan A, (laughs) Jesus could appear on the mountain over there and tell everybody about himself, but he's not gonna do that. He's told us he's not gonna do that. Jesus has appeared to dreams in people. That happens, I believe that happens. But you know what happens? You know Those stories that I've heard, I think every time I've heard one of those stories, what the, if Jesus appears or an angel or whatever in somebody's dream, what they tell him is a messenger is coming, listen to them. And a day or two later, a missionary will show up or somebody will show up sharing the truth. And and they've been warned to listen to this because he sends his message through us. And he strongly supports the heart that's fully his. So you may have noticed these poker players up here and wondered why are we playing poker in church? Um, It's proper. Um, Yes. (laughs) The reason they're playing poker is this is our all-in series. And we're looking at what it looks like to be all-in for Christ. And there's kind of three three types of, of poker players. And I'm not sure which one here is which. But there's... There's the poker player who uh, is a bluffer. There's the poker player who pretends like they've got the hand, you know, and they're always calling and always raising. Uh, they're 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 faking it. They're the bluffer. And I guess maybe when you get to know that person, you you learn how to play against that. But there's also there's also is that you, Alan? I should have asked that question earlier. I should have. But there's 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 Christians like that, the bluffers, the ones that pretend like they've got it. They do all the religious things but their heart's not really there. And then, and then there's the poker player who just uh, does minimum bet, you know, call. Just minimum, they, they hold, hold it close. Which one's the minimum better so far? James, okay. <laughs> but but they, they, they're holding it close. Oh, I don't want to be too risky. Uh, just minimum, you know. I know I've got four aces, but. Uh, uh. <laughs> um, yeah, James, I saw your hand. Um, and then there's, there's the, the player who pays attention. There's the one who is meticulous and, and watching the others and yeah, looking for the signs, the tells, whatever you call it. And when they get the right hand, they know when to go all in. They know when to bet. And I think that's the type of Christian we want to be. The one who's looking, paying attention for the movement of the Holy Spirit. And when you see it, you go all in, you get involved. But before that, you're already all in for Jesus. You've already said yes to Jesus, if that makes sense. You get to know him and and you go, God, what do you want from me? I don't know what it is, but I say yes. And then when it comes, you've already said yes. And you go, that's the all in Jesus follower. It's that person that the Holy Spirit will strongly support. It's that person that's going to make a difference in this world. It's that person who's going to arrive in heaven without regrets, or at least not as many. Now, I did want, as I was going through this, I did want to put kind of a side note. Um, I think we are blessed in this body. We're a very young church, very young. You know, we officially launched at Easter, but I think we're blessed. And that I think God has given us a lot of people who are all in. And here's how I know, because when we've done outreach things, people show up. A lot of you show up. Um, Zach, we were talking this last week, and the first time he came to visit Common Ground we were still meeting in my house. It was before they moved here. And the first Sunday he came, we were actually going door to door, handing out groceries and prayer. Um, and he did it. (laughs) You know, we're like, Oh, Hey, we're glad you're here. We're not staying here. We're actually going. And he went with Alex and two guys going door to door. Can we pray for you? Here's some groceries. But when we did that, everybody showed up. Everybody that had currently been attending came. And we've seen that over and over and it's risky and it's uncomfortable. But what I've seen is people willing to do those things. And I I mean, that's an encouragement, but let's not get lazy, but let's remain going all in. This is in your notes. Christians are the primary method by which people hear the message of reconciliation to God through Jesus. Verse 19, Paul just repeats what he's already been saying. Verse 19, that is, in Christ Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He uses that word entrusting. He has entrusted us with a message. It's like we are we are a a carrier of something valuable we are the purse (laughs) And, and the jewel is inside. The precious cargo is Jesus. Jesus is the one that brings healings. Jesus is the answer, not you and I, but we bring the message of Jesus being the answer. And he has entrusted that with you. Have you ever been entrusted with a big task? Maybe somebody in authority said, here, I want you to go do this and I'm trusting you to do it. That's a, that's a big deal. You know, I remember my dad back when I worked for him doing construction, if he would ask me to go alone on a job site and go do something, I'm trusting you to do this, that was okay. I'm going, I'm representing my dad and his business, and this is a big deal. That's what he said. He has entrusted the message to us. Now, because we showed that video at the beginning, I did want to point out This reconciliation begins with your heart and my heart to God and us to one another. And the great benefit is salvation. That's the great benefit is being united, reconciled with Christ. But there is a part of reconciliation that is bigger. So God doesn't just want to reconcile you to him, which that's what he wants first. He wants to reconcile you to others. He wants to reconcile the world back to himself, which he's in the process, and someday it's going to be perfect. But I'm talking about the social ills, the evils in the world. Guess what? Jesus can answer those. Jesus can bring healing to those on this earth. It's not going to be perfect because we still have these bodies. That's a fact. But he can bring healing. Places, you know, Zach again, he's going to Africa next month, so give him money to go to Africa. Um, (laughs) But he's going to Africa to bring water Christians go bring water to people who need water. That's a a, a part of reconciliation. Marriages that need to be reconciled, they need to be healed can come. And if they submit to Jesus Christ, whenever I talk to couples who are struggling, here's my big thing. Are you dead? Because if you're dead, when you walk in with your husband or wife, guess what? They get their way. Probably (laughs) you're not about you. You're alive to Jesus. That's the big answer. And so Jesus brings healing as well to the evils of this world. This is in your notes. Even the evils of society can be restored through the acceptance of Jesus as Lord. But it begins with individuals reconciled. It's not a social gospel. Now that has happened through the years too of people starting out to help people and bring the gospel and pretty soon the gospel is left out and they're just helping people which is great to help people but ultimately that's nothing because eternity is forever. They need to hear the truth. Romans 10, 14, and 15. We've looked at this before. It says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that actually goes on to say, and how is somebody going to preach if they haven't been sent? And we talked about this, it was before Easter this last year. And we said, we're all sent. We are all sent. If you're a Christian, you're a priest, you are sent to reconcile others to him. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake, he was made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is making his appeal through us. Look at the wording used. It's an appeal, almost like pleading. God loves people so much. And so he's pleading, turn to me, turn away from your sin, repent, turn to me. And he's making that appeal through you and I. And earlier in verse 11, 2 Corinthians five eleven, he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So you see our task is Is to appeal to others to be reconciled to God and to help persuade them. Now, the danger is that we accept the responsibility to convert them. That's not our job, that's the Holy Spirit. But our job is to share and share intelligently and try and persuade them to the truth. God's already preparing hearts. When we share, He'll show us who, and and those people will be turned to Him, and we're gonna start seeing more baptisms. It's going to happen. I think it's going to happen in the next year. We're going to start seeing more baptisms as we are sharing intelligently. People are coming and seeing and getting involved and going, that's what I want. But we are persuading others. You see how this is intentional? This is intentional. This doesn't just happen in life, honestly. We can form a habit that becomes the way of life, but we have to be intentional. Intentional about sharing this with others. And this is the primary mission of the church. This is the primary mission. Our primary purpose is to know God and be in relationship. Our primary mission is to share Jesus with others. So many churches forget this. Over, I think it's 10 to 15 years in, most churches stop with evangelism because they've built up this group and they're just content being in that group. We can never do that. We have to watch it. We have to be careful. And we have to continually go. It's our primary mission to share the truth. And so, let's get a little practical, right, as we wrap up the sermon portion, we'll worship some more. But practically, what does this look like? What does it look like for us to share our faith? Um, I I think Callie gave me a good example two weeks ago. We started soccer, and I'm coaching Elisa's team and Kayla's team. Uh, And after the first or second practice, I came home with Callie, and Callie said, oh, yeah, so-and-so goes to LifePoint, and -and so-and-so is interested in really worshiping. I'm like, so she got to know people in the first while sitting there watching practice and actually had spiritual conversations and it was easy, it, it wasn't threatening. She was just getting to know him, just asking him. And of course, Jesus comes up because Jesus is our number one. He's all, of, all in our lives. And so it can just, it just comes, it was easy. It wasn't yeah, an in your face, on the street evangelism thing. It's just relationships, it just comes up. And then just inviting people. Just inviting people to come to your small group. We're gonna be starting small groups, signups are on the back. Um, but we're gonna be a church of groups where we actually live in community, loving one another. Inviting people to your group, where they see people actually loving one another. Inviting people to church, where they get to hear the truth. Uh, the number one is going to be you, not me. <laughs> the point isn't that you go, I don't know how to tell you. Just come meet my pastor, he'll tell you. Really, you need to learn so you can share, but just come and see. And so here's a, a video that is from Hope Church, which is one of our partner churches down in Vegas, where they shared. it's a story of uh, two guys from down there in Vegas. So let's see that video.
1: I could
0: play the background. I could play
1: hey, I'm Matt the P, originally from Detroit, Michigan, and grew up in Las Vegas. I grew up loving sports. Where I went to Silverado in 2004, played a little football and through one of my boys, played a little bit of basketball at the gym where I met Hayden, and around that time he went to college and I stayed out here. So in 2008, I was at the gym and ran into Hayden again after many years where we were playing ball and he started talking about god and jesus and invited me to a bible study i was that guy that tried everything and it almost killed me between drugs sex addiction actually two weeks before i was invited to bible study i found myself on the bathroom floor overdose to be honest i was unsure if uh, matt p was even going to come to the bible study when i first invited him but uh, he showed up and we built a little relationship from there i seen that he was passionate and uh, at the time, I had went overseas to play basketball, and when I came back uh, this summer, Matt P came up to me in the gym, and he actually asked me if, he, if I was gonna do the Bible study again. And uh, we got it going around May, and um, I, it's just been amazing to see the transforming effect of the gospel that's happened in this guy's life over the past two, three months. So when I first walked into Hope, I sat in the back by myself, and I felt like Jesus was speaking directly to me. And over the past three months, I feel like Jesus has challenged me to radically change my life. And the community at Hope has encouraged me and challenged me to live the life of a Jesus follower. Because I was invited to Hope, God has forever changed my life.
0: To a man, but its end is the way of death. All that pain we see out there, people are pursuing the wrong things. And plan A is that you and I share a better way and there is no plan B. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. As we start this series, and as we close in worship, look at your heart. Are you all in for Jesus? Or are you just trying them out? Are you holding things, trying to, you know, not get too involved, don't want to get too risky? Are you willing to go all in for Jesus? Betting on Jesus is not a gamble. He's given you his all. And when we give him his all is when we really will experience life. If you're here and you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, now's the chance. Now's when you start. I'm gonna be actually up here while we worship over here by the the horse trough. That's what we do baptisms in. Come see me while we're singing and I'll pray with you. But now's the chance, now's the time. If you have been playing it safe, or if you've been faking it, guess what? You don't have to fake it. We'll accept you where you're at. If you've got hidden sins, guess what? I won't be surprised. And neither will the people around you. It's okay. But let's go all in. Let's go all in together and let's take that truth to others. Let me pray and then we're going to worship. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. <laughs> thank you for being the reconciler. Thank you that I don't have to do the work. Thank you that it's all you. It's all you. But then I do thank you, too, that now that I belong to you, you've given me a purpose. And it's amazing. My purpose isn't to be famous. My purpose isn't to make a lot of money. My purpose isn't pleasure. These are all things that we can seek in this life. My purpose is to know you, and my mission is to make you known. And that gives my life meaning, and it makes life exciting and sometimes painful. But I trust you through that. I just thank you. Holy Spirit, convict our hearts. If we need to commit to you for the first time, I pray that we would do that today. If, if we need to make a commitment to go all in with you, I pray that we would do that today as well. Make a difference in this city. Please, reconcile people to you and use us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.